and then I went to this party and this guy uh, shot me up with meth and it took me two months to lose my job, my car, my house. And I ended up living, you know, in various crack houses, uh, in and out of storage units, living on the streets, living in and out of cars. Welcome to the Recovery Edge cast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. Today I'm super excited to have Shaylee on the line. Um, I think I've known you for not even a year, really. Yeah. Yeah, about six months, I would say. Yeah. It's been uh, it's been really cool um, hearing you in the meetings and having you in, uh, you know, in the rooms with me. Um, I, I love the way you share and stuff. So I don't want to take too much of your thunder away, of course, but... Um, <laughs> Why don't you give us your sobriety date? My sobriety date is February 27th, 2020. February 27th, 2020. So you are coming up on almost two years. You're about a year 0.75 or something like that. Yeah, I just celebrated 18 months, um, I believe, in August. Congratulations. Thank you. So what do you do these days? I am actually a truck driver. No way. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Are you like a truck driver for like, do you go out of the state or is it just regional here? No, it's definitely regional. I drive a 40 foot flatbed semi with a, um, a Moffitt, which is just a form of forklift that's all terrain. And I deliver things like decking, lumber, really anything that you can get in a lumber yard or something like that to anywhere that's needed. So, Well, look at you. That's great. (laughs) Um, What about how, like, do you do this in the winter, I take it, right? When it's really hard to drive trucks? (laughs) I do. And since I live in, you know, a beautiful state with several mountains i also drive in the mountains with it dang i don't know right well someone's gotta do it if it was easy you wouldn't get paid i guess that's fair (laughs) that's true but i do wish i made more for some of the stuff they asked me to do i bet well cool um how you feel you feel warmed up you think you can go over your story you know your experience strength and hope yeah, I do. I, I feel warmed up. I also have a lot of anxiety because sometimes I get a little bit off track. But, <laughs> you know, for the most part, uh, I feel like it, it might be a good idea to get it out there so that maybe someone else that's got a similar story to me doesn't feel alone. So uh, That's a good attitude. Just, you know, relax. You're going to have fun. But with all of that, you know, the floor is all yours. Why don't you tell us, you know, what it was like before, what happened, what it's like today, and start where you want. All right. Um, Yeah, so I think I'm just going to go over my whole story in kind of a condensed version of it. Um, So just let me know when you're ready for me to start. Hey, we're ready. We're ready to hear this. All right. I am Shaylee and I am a garden variety addict. And the reason why I call myself that is because 
drugs and alcohol are not my only problem. I have the type of personality that gets addicted to anything and everything that changes the way I feel. So I have to be really careful in life and aware of my triggers and being willing to use the tools that recovery has given me diligently. And I do not have really a lot of room for error in that. Um, Because of this, I only choose to have people in my life that tell me the truth when they see a change in me because anyone that has co-signed any of my crap um, has never done me any good. And I've had to learn that the hard way. I was born on July 11th, 1987 in the beautiful state of Michigan. Uh, My mother was in high school when she had me. And so I was basically raised by my grandma and grandpa, and they were very loving towards me. Um, I think for my grandpa, I was his first chance at being a good parent uh, because what I've learned later in life is that my grandpa was actually a very violent alcoholic. I never got to see um, that kind of behavior in the household when I was young, um, but I guess there was a lot of uh, trauma that my mother and her many siblings went through and my grandma. So I kind of got the the good end of the stick in that situation. And I was raised really in like a normal household. My mom, you know, she worked and went to school and she paid my grandma and grandpa to help me. Um, They raised me mostly, but my mom was a bartender and we actually lived next door to the bar. And so I remember even just as a small child, although my grandma mostly shielded me from this kind of stuff, like my mom being drug home because she would get so wasted at work that she couldn't even walk home and she'd be like throwing up. And then, um, yeah, that, that was a regular thing that I saw, but my grandma would mostly make me go back to bed. And so for the most part, I, I had a good childhood. I do... Um, remember my mom having like some angry outbursts when I was a kid, but again, I was shielded a lot. And so I didn't really get to see the effects of it until, um, my grandma, she actually died on July 8th, 1998. And we buried her on my birthday on July 11th, 1998. So it was very fast. She had been diagnosed with cancer about six weeks prior and, and she just had it everywhere. So it was just like such a quick death, but she, she did suffer. And I do remember struggling in school. And so my, my friends, I got held back after my grandma died. And I remember my friends turning on me and I lived in a really small town called Bennett, Colorado. I mean, it was literally fourth street through fourth street. I'm pretty sure at that point, all it was was cornfields and we didn't even have a stoplight. And so I remember that's when I started feeling bad about myself. And I remember girls, they would call me flunky and they would throw rocks at me. And, you know, my grandma just died and I got thrown into chaos with my mom and her second husband, Kevin. And, um, and, 
and fighting and cheating on each other. And they were like doing it out in the open. And so I didn't know how to react to life. And, and my grandpa who had raised me, you know, he lost it when my grandma died. So he just took off. And then all of a sudden there was nothing left but me and my mom. And she was full blown addiction. She was also a welder, an iron worker. And so she was very aggressive. She was like my mom and my dad and, and she was angry all the time. And my very presence just bothered her. And I just remember her always, I mean, I was like 11 years old and she would kick me out of the house. She would just be drunk and like, tell me to leave. And she would call me a lot of names and she put her finger in my face. And so I just started acting out a lot. Like nobody loved me. And I was constantly being told how bad I was on the inside. And like my stepdad didn't like me because I was acting out. And, and so he would get drunk and say really sh mean things. To me. Started to like believe that about myself. And I remember, um, just how many times I'd be like screaming and crying and asking them to stop hitting each other because I didn't know what to do. And, and my mom broke every phone we ever had. So I couldn't call anyone for help. And it, it was just a lot of chaos. That's, that's generally what I grew up with for a very short time. So it didn't take long from then until I started recovery because I just spiraled out of control really fast. Um, I remember going on vacation with my mom to Michigan to see my aunts and it was just my mom and I. And so I went to go stay with my dad's parents because my dad wasn't in my life because he chose not to be. And I came back early because I was missing my mom and I found her actually with another man. And then I told my stepbrothers, and then, you know, my stepdad found out and my mom actually blamed me for her marriage breaking up. Like it was my fault and would like actively tell me to my face. Mm. My fault. And so, you know, I was lost at school and I didn't have anyone to help me with my homework. And I don't have a learning disability, but at the time they thought I did. But there was like no help for me back then because it was the olden days, I guess, because I'm old now. And um. So I just started like ditching school and started falling in with the bad crowd. And I think we were just mis misfit children. I mean, I just remember so many backstories of my friends. We all just came from like a troubled past and some of us didn't have a troubled past, but they were troubled. And, and like we found a community together. And so we just started, you know, like normal kids smoking weed, drinking alcohol and doing that kind of stuff. And I felt like I had found like my people, my tribe. And like, we were never going to school and <clears throat> my mom, you know, she was continuously spiraling now that she was divorced. And so I think things started getting like out of control for her and she didn't want to have to take care of me anymore. And she gave my brother up um, to his dad. And then she sent me away to Michigan uh, to live with my grandparents and they didn't know how to handle me. I was super troubled. Definitely wasn't doing good in school. They put me in a mental institution for a couple months. And then at some point my mom just drove out and got me, but it was literally the same week that I got back. 
um, my mom and I had gotten in a fight and she beat me up really bad. And I remember I started walking away from the house, but I was in so much pain that I started crawling and I got to a friend's house and she had watched the whole thing, but I got to her house. So we called the cops and I went into foster care. But the thing is, is that I went into my friend's house's foster care because her mom took me in, but we were partying with her too. And there was like never a time when I had a responsible adult that like showed me self care and any kind of love in my life. And so I just partied with them. And then my mom got in trouble because she was doing hard drugs when they, you ate her after she beat me up. And so she ended up in recovery. And so it was from like 1998 to 2002. That's how short it was for me to start the recovery process. And I remember when she went into recovery, she worked for a little while on her sobriety and then she became homeless for some reason. And I don't know what the backstory on that is anymore because I have a lot of like memory loss, but I remember that foster care gave me back to her. And I was probably 16 at this point. And she was like, Hey, you know, I think that you need recovery too. And so I started going to AA meetings with her in Boulder. And then we moved into a homeless shelter in Boulder after being like homeless on the streets for a couple weeks and like just kind of roaming around and and staying, you know, on people's couches for a little while. And I got like 10 months of sobriety with her at that point, but I was only 16. So I wasn't really ready, you know, to be clean. Got into our own place together. I just hooked back up with my friends because that seemed like a good idea. And then immediately relapsed and fell back into that. And so I was starting to you know, want to fight with my mom and she was really trying to do recovery at this time. And she was trying to be really good to me, but you know, we were just toxic together. And since that's what she grew up with was toxicity in her family. That's what I saw. And so I became that with her. And so we would fight each other and then she would have to kick me out. And she did, she kicked me out. But then I met at this time, a, a woman, she was about eight years older than me, and we got into a relationship. And that's really, I think, the turning point with, like, really doing, like, hardcore drugs for me. We, um, you know, she showed me how to do hard drugs, and so I did a lot of them, and we ended up moving in together. And, and then we moved up to Longmont, Colorado together. And she was like getting a house built through Habitat for Humanity. And I went through that whole process with her because we were together for four years. But I don't remember most of it, but I do remember there was a lot of drinking and a lot of violence. And I'm pretty sure that I caused a lot of trauma to her two young children because of my behavior and my drinking problem. And she was really into um, EDSM. And so I would have to hang out with her kids on the weekends why she went and stayed at other places to like get her fix or whatever. And it like really brought my self-esteem down even more because it was like, why does she want to leave me? I'm not lovable, but I hate myself so much that I'm willing to make her my higher power. And I'm just going to stay in this relationship. But since I don't know how to cope with my feelings, I'm going to turn to violence and more drinking and more drugs to cope with the way I feel. But because of the things I do when I'm drinking and doing drugs, it's just going to like perpetuate this cycle, uh, this pattern in my life of just 
constant pain that I'm, I'm trying to feed and run away from. And I can't seem to get out of this relationship for almost four years. And then, you know, eventually I was able to leave and I moved back in with my mom and, you know, I, I tried to like settle down and I was just doing a little bit of, you know, marijuana maintenance or whatever. And then, um, I became a ring girl for a boxing corporation and my boxing promoter, uh, told me he didn't think I acted comfortable enough when I was flashing the cards around and like socializing with people. And, and he was probably right, but he, he started giving me, um, drugs so that I would loosen up. And then I went to this party and this guy, uh, shot me up with meth and it took me two months to lose my job, my car, my house. And I ended up living, you know, in various crack houses, uh, in and out of storage units, living on the streets, living in and out of cars, prostituting on Colfax, uh, prostituting in Longmont. But I was definitely selling my body for drugs for a long time. And, and that lasted for about two year, years. But I, I remember getting in this car with this dude that I didn't know. And I was like desperate. I didn't have anywhere to sleep that night. So I went with him because I felt like maybe he was a safer option. Uh, now that I have been clean for a while, I realized those actions, I, I can't believe I'm not dead, to be honest with you. But we ended up getting pulled over that night. And I remember when we got pulled over, he had a bunch of stuff in his car. Um, and because he had been drinking, the cops searched the car and I just told the cops that it was mine, whatever it was. And they were like, well, can you identify what it is? And I was like trying to like guess, but I, I didn't know what it was. And the cop was like, I don't want to arrest you. And I remember breaking down and crying being like, dude, I, I need help. Like I need someone to save me because I'm going to die. And he was like, I don't want to arrest you. Like I know these aren't your drugs. And I was like, please help me. And so he did. He, he arrested me and he charged me with a F6 felony and put me in jail. And that's why I remained for about a month before I went on to um, a court date. And my mom actually showed up for that. Like she never wrote me or put commissary, but at this time my mom showed up and she told the judge that, you know, if you put me on house arrest, ankle monitor and all that stuff, she would take me in. And so they came to some agreement and I did I went home with her right away and it was that night I was already using and I continued to use, but I would like still go to my UAs and I would keep peeing hot. And they told me, you know, you got to stop peeing hot or we're going to have to put you back in jail. And so that's when I really got back into recovery and was like, all right, I'm really going to do this. And so I would get like 30 days and relapse or I would get 60 days and relapse, you know, drinking or something. But somehow I was passing my UAs and it took me about a year. And then I got off probation. And so I started selling weed in recovery because I needed to like make some extra money or whatever. And for whatever reason, that seemed like a good idea at the time. And then there was this, 
this cute boy in recovery and he was brand new. He didn't even have any days. And I had like 30 days and he had a shaky voice. And I remember like flirting with him all the time. And then eventually we hooked up and he was like, Oh, if we're going to take this serious. I need to let you know that I smoke weed for pain management and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh, we're meant to be. I actually sell weed. <laughs> and and this is how I know our love is real. And so we like made the decision because he already had three kids with two other women. And that seemed like a good idea in my mind at the time. And he was facing 24 years in prison, which also seemed like a good idea for me at the time um, for me to become an instant mother and wife. And, and so I did, you know, I met his kids and, and we really tried to like live this picturesque life in recovery, but we were lying about our clean date. And, and we were using together, but the problem is, is that I was never willing to do any of the work in recovery. And so, you know, I would get a sponsor and I would expect people to co-sign my bullshit or I would lie about how much clean time I had. And I remember we even like picked up two year chips together and we're, and we're smoking weed together. And that's not being clean in some recoveries, but the recovery that we were in at that time that he is still in, but I am not really in, um, that's how it works. Like you, you gotta be clean off of everything. And we were fighting all the time and I wasn't doing any step work and he wasn't doing any step work. And so I was working at this call center and I knew this girl was strung out on something. So I, I just casually asked her if she had anything and she did. And, and I actually started, um, intravenously using drugs again for about seven months before, I ended up having to break down and tell him cause I had like lost my job. And I was like, if you want me to take care of the kids, you're going to have to get me drugs because that was my motive. I always got men to take care of what I needed to do the drugs that I needed at the time. And, and so he did and he relapsed with me and then he did drugs the way I did for the first time. And he tried doing that for about two months, but I think just who I was and what he was becoming scared him so much that he quit and he fully got into recovery and started changing his life and like became honest about it. But I wasn't ready. I was not ready to be clean. And so I, I couldn't get clean. I would like get a week or two under my belt and then I would use and try to hide it. And I remember one time I was up all night bleaching the cabinets for whatever reason. And he woke up the next day. It was like four o'clock in the morning and I'm like bleaching everything. And, and he looked at me and I was like, it's not what it looks like. And he was like, it's absolutely what it looks like. And he kicked me out. He packed up all my stuff and put it inside my car, told me to get out. Mm. So I went and stayed one more night in a drug house. And then I just broke down and I came home and I became willing to do it. The problem was, is I didn't know that I was already three months pregnant. And so I found that out shortly after too. And so I went from being up and doing drugs all the time to being pregnant and then having a baby and immediately postpartum depression. I mean, this depression lasted for three years. I can't even tell you how sick I was. I couldn't get through it, but my husband believed that being clean even meant not working on your mental health. If you needed medication, I am an advocate. If you do it the right way, you know, seek help if needed outside of recovery. I don't care what anyone says. It's not their business. Mental health is a real issue. So, you know, I went through years of just not even coping. I would hold my breath until I passed out. I got diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, 
And it's not like, oh, I got to have my house clean and three things in a row. It was like, I can't cope with life. I'm going to hold my breath. I don't have control. I'm going to pass out because I'm holding my breath without even knowing that I'm doing it. I'm going to pick at stuff. I'm not going to cope. I'm going to overeat, stuff like that. That was what I had going for like three or four years. And then I slowly started coming out of it, but I was morbidly obese and I got real sad. And for whatever reason, we got married and I started losing weight right after the wedding. And all of a sudden I was like getting noticed by other men again. And it felt really good because I'd felt like a fat, frumpy, depressed piece whale for, for years. And I didn't have anything to change the way I felt. Like it was just miserable trying to be a mom and a wife. Like no one had even taught me how to live my life. It was just trash forever. And so I started compulsively having extramarital affairs. And um, I had one long-term affair and I'd lost a lot of weight and I was being really vain. And I was like, wow, this is it. Like just exercise and men, I'm good. And, but it started to hurt because I felt like I was giving pieces of my soul away and I was getting into these really abusive relationships outside of my marriage and I couldn't talk to anyone about it. Like I couldn't tell anyone I'm dying inside. I don't know why I'm letting this person do this to me, but my way of coping is to have sex because I can't use to change the way I feel because I got to save face in recovery. And I, again, wasn't willing to do the steps because I thought all this trauma that I have in my backstory how am I going to get through this with step work? And so I'm having affairs for about two and a half years. And then eventually I, I get the balls to move on from that. And so I got about, I would say a month and a half away from that. And I got real sick and I'd been sick. And then I kept being sick for like a month. And I was at work and I worked with my husband at that point um, at his company and something happened and I just had to go to the bathroom because all of a sudden I was like sick and puking everywhere and like my shoulders and my back hurt so bad. And, and I remember just crying and screaming because it hurt so bad. Like something inside my body was exploding and I couldn't get it to stop. And so my husband stopped whatever he was doing and came and picked me up and took me to the hospital and they thought my appendix had exploded. Uh, but it turns out that I was pregnant. Um, and in that moment, I really, that was probably the first time that I'd ever actually reached out to God. And I was like, hey, I really, I need your help to, to, to deal with this. And so my husband went outside to smoke a cigarette. And he came back in and, and he was so happy. And he was like oh man, are we really going to do this? Cause we already have four kids. And I just looked at him and I said, it's not yours. Wow. And he was like, Oh, and was just looking at me. And then he goes, I guess I'm going to have to leave. And he left me at the hospital, which he had every right to. And so I, you know, would go in and out of panic attacks and I was crying and, you know, but all I could think is if I'm pregnant, you know, I got to take care of this baby and they were giving me all kinds of ultrasounds and it turns out um, that the baby was killing me and they had to remove it. So I went into emergency surgery and then I woke up 
and I had lost my job, my house, my kids, and my husband all in that moment. And I come out from surgery and I have nowhere to go. And so my mom took me in for a couple of days and then I started reaching out to people in recovery, seeing if someone could take me in until I could get on my feet. And I could tell you 100% without a doubt that I do have a higher power that I was never really good at reaching out to, but I cannot even tell you what that higher power took me through and, and where I'm at today. Um, there was a guy in recovery that let me live with him for a couple months until I could get on my feet. It was amazing. He uh, was a very grouchy old biker guy, but I will always forever be grateful for what he did for me. And I started going to more meetings. I realized that, you know, I, ha I carry a lot of addictions. Um, my husband at that point made me take a paternity test on my son to make sure he was his, which was traumatic for me, my husband and my son. And then I got into several forms of recovery. I can tell you that I really struggled through that and I did not stop acting out sexually until January, 2019. And then I still acted out one more time after that. But I continuously told my husband because he was desperately wanting this to work between us. And so I got into sex and trauma therapy, which was very expensive. But if you're struggling with that, I suggest it for anyone because it really helped me understand why I function the way I function and, and how to start moving past it. <clears throat> but I was also going to Sex Addicts Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, and Narcotics Anonymous. I did eventually um, get to a place where I only go to AA now. I go to AA because I work my steps in all areas of my life. I spent an entire year with a therapist writing out what is called a therapeutic disclosure, which is where it's kind of hard to explain. It's where I have to write out every wrong sexual act I ever had in my life um, within reason. You know, I, I couldn't express certain things to my husband, but I had to write this out and then take a lie detector test and then share it with him in a therapy session with his therapist and my therapist. And even if we weren't going to work out, I knew that not only did I owe that to him, but I owed it to myself too, because there was just so much damage in my life and so much damage that I had created. And like so desperately at that point, just wanted to heal. Like I don't want to be this person that I am anymore. And so I read that to him but I got severely depressed after uh, and then I relapsed on alcohol and it was while my husband was out on vacation uh, with his sponsor doing recovery stuff. Uh, and then I drank one night and I remember just drinking and thinking, do I really want to go here again? And I'd never felt so lonely in my life. Like I have so many people in my life that love me and just want to see me do well. And then I also have this son that I've neglected for years because I can only think about myself. And that was the last day of my bottom. I decided that there was literally nowhere else to go but up. 
And so I did anything and everything I could to get better at that point. I decided to work with my sponsor. And if she had a suggestion for me, I took it. I stopped fighting it and I stopped letting people enable me. If someone is my friend and they want to enable me, they're not going to be my close friend. Only people that tell me the truth are going to be the people that I choose to have in my life on a regular basis and tell them what's going on. I have worked some meaningful steps um, because there's there's like an endless possibility of self-knowledge that I can get from the steps that I can't get anywhere else. I can go to a therapist and work on some stuff, but when it comes to the things in my life that drive me to live in these patterns of self-destruction, the steps 100% help with if I let them. You know, it was really easy for me at this point after everything over the years that was going on and that I was allowing to happen in my life and like this victimhood that I lived in, realizing that I am in step one, an alcoholic and an addict, and my life is completely unmanageable. If I even just look at my finances, I'm unmanageable. If I look at the way I eat, I'm unmanageable. If I look at the way I binge watch TV, I am unmanageable. I can make anything unhealthy. So steps two and steps three, you know, coming to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. You know, I kind of struggle with the placement of those steps. I wouldn't say that them in themselves is a bad step. I do believe that I have a higher power. I cannot believe that I'm alive and what they've carried me through and how they've helped me to succeed in my life and where I'm at now today. Um, but it was hard for me to grasp that now all of a sudden I just step four, you know, where I've identified my patterns, the resentments, definitely what my part in it was and like how to change and like what my assets are in that step, um, has like solidified that I have a higher power and like seeing how it's changed in my life. And for me, step four was very meaningful this time because, it wasn't, I didn't write out all these crazy resentments I had. I wrote out things that had hurt me that people had done and like what my reaction to it was and like how I carried it through my life. And some of them were, were highly insignificant, but it had like solidified a real feeling in my life. I just remember, and I've shared this story so many times in meetings that I was in the sixth grade, you know, my life is crap. My grandma just died. My mom's a mess. No one helped me figure out how to do crazy hair day the right way. And so I'd put a bunch of braids all over my head and I was just desperately trying to fit in. And I was always the weird kid. And, and so I didn't have a lot of friends anyway at that point. And I remember this really beautiful girl that was in eighth grade, um, her walking by me and looking at me and she called me gross. And so I took that core feeling that she had just gave to me on that random Tuesday morning that I had never felt before that now solidified who I really am. And so I carried that up until the last couple of years with me. And I had to write about that and like how embarrassing that is to share with people for me. Like I think I'm gross because somebody told me I was gross once. And so I use over it, but I don't want to live this pattern anymore. And so I'm willing to do this step to change, to change and to, to, to become 
what the ninth step promises promise. And if anyone doesn't know what that is, you can look it up on. So then I shared Hold my on, fourth I'm step sorry. with my sponsor. Oh, uh, you cut off there for a second. Where can we look oh, it up? I yeah, I just want to know where we can look it up. Uh, you can look it up in on Google or in the a, a um, big book. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. Yes. And so then I did my fifth step with my sponsor, and I did not get a lot of relief from that. I actually felt really yucky sharing some of those things with her. But it was really, I think, just something I needed to get outside of myself because now I'm filled with this knowledge but like I'm not releasing it into the universe or to God or to whoever. And so I choose a really amazing sponsor that doesn't judge me for any reason. And so I shared that with her. And then I did the sixth step, which was real easy. Am I willing, you know, to become willing? Uh, I can't remember exactly what the sixth step says, but do I want to remove my character defects? And the only answer that I had for that was, fuck yeah, I do. I don't want to live like this anymore. And so I went through a really brutal seventh step. And the only reason why I call it brutal is because I became aware of every character defect that I had in that moment. And they were like blaring, but it was like, do I want to keep being a victim and ruining my life? Or do I want to be willing to ask a higher power of my choosing to remove these from me? And he hasn't removed all of them, but now that I'm aware of them, and I can see them, I can work on them and like not acting out on them as much because I am definitely the kind of person that likes to be an angry victim. Like you ruined my life or look what you've done to me and then be all content, like contempt with anger and frustration and living in resentment and like doing all this stuff. So I've just embarked on my eighth step. Um, and I've done the steps before, but I definitely did not do them well and definitely did not tell the truth in most of it. But I think this is the first time when I'm writing a list of people I have harmed, which is pretty significant for me. You know, I've done a lot of harm to my children, to my spouse, to my spouse's family. You know, everybody thought I was something that I wasn't and then it all came out in one big lie. And like, I owe it to myself to admit where I was wrong and make an amends for that. And whether they accept it or not, like I get to cleanse my soul. Now I get to change and I don't have to live in like this world of trauma and pain that I had my whole life. And like, I don't have to be afraid that if I let go of my trauma and work through it, like who am I going to be? Because the woman that I'm becoming today is like un unreal, like un. I couldn't even imagine what I was going to be like at some point. Like I pay my bills. I love my family. And although, you know, there's a, really a lot of damage there. Like I still try to show up every day instead of hiding in a corner with a bottle or a needle or whatever. Like I would have before I would have just ran away because I'm definitely a runner. Um, and like, I'm genuinely happy on the inside. Like, I'm a little bit chubby right now and that's cool. Like I'm not basing my whole life off of like an image or some kind of fake thing that I think I'm supposed to be doing or being as a woman, like I'm just chilling and I'm, and I'm living my life and I'm doing things that like I want to do. 
like building a haunted house so that the community can come together and visit it instead of only thinking about myself. Um, I'm really happy on the inside. I built an amazing relationship with my son who I definitely neglected for a long time um, because I'm a selfish individual and you know, he's, he's cool. I wish I wouldn't have missed so much of it, but I can't take back my past and I'm trying to rebuild a relationship with my stepdaughters. They seem a little apprehensive, but I think if I just keep showing up, you know, at some point the healing will begin and, and I owe them an amends. Like they don't even know the full story, but they do know the full story. So it's probably kind of confusing for them. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of friends cause I'm kind of weird with people. I, I struggle in relationships, but I found, you know, a core group of women that definitely helped me in my life. And, and they tell me the truth at all times. Like there's no fakeness in, in the relationships that I choose today. And they help me better myself. And I regularly go to meetings to maintain my recovery. And I am really happy. I cannot wait to go through the rest of the steps, but I have not gotten there yet so I don't have anything to say on them um, but the first time in my life I feel some sort of inner peace and I don't think I would trade that for the world and I also you know wouldn't wouldn't shut the door on my past either because I really feel like if my story could help someone else I'm really glad that I went through that not everyone in my life is glad they went through that with me but I don't think I could be who I am today without that. And as much as I feel sad for the little girl who grew up um, her, you know, most impressionable years and a toxic lifestyle, I don't have to continue putting that on my children and I can start like the healing process in their lives by healing myself. Uh, and I think that more people need that kind of stuff in their life. So that's, really all I have to say you know I hope someone can get something out of that and peace out what piece of advice worked for you like you remember when and where you heard it oh that really is a good question um you know I guess just going back to only your real friends will tell you the truth the people who have your best interest at heart will tell you the truth, even if it hurts your feelings or upsets you. And so just being 100% honest about my life and everything is probably the best advice I've ever had because you can't really get through anything if you're not honest about it. So mm. you have a killer sense of humor now. Did you always have this killer sense of humor? Yeah. I think that comes from the trauma. Oh, <laughs> Well, here I am, like, trying to give you a compliment here, and I'm like, ooh, okay. <laughs> no, no, it is a good compliment. I do, I love being funny and, uh, you know, having people laugh, but I, I honestly don't know where it comes from or why I'm that way, and, it, and I'm not always good at it, so. Yeah. So, and I'm just going to rewind back here into the dark days, if you don't mind. When you were shot up with meth at a party, do you remember that night and what you thought, you know, about the insanity of doing that for the first time? 
Yeah, actually, I do remember. I was in a trailer, and it wasn't like a fun party. It was like everybody's tweaking party. And I remember, like, it was just, I think what they called it back then was over-amping. And I remember laying on the floor and thinking, this is it. This feels so good. Like, I all of a sudden, I can't even tell you it was like a whole body sensation and then I spent the next, you know, four years or so searching for that feeling. It made me feel powerful and sexy and beautiful and like I could do anything. But ultimately, I mean, it just destroyed my life and everything about myself. So. Hmm. Wow. All right. Easy question. And this is the last one. Okay. Okay. Because I've never done this. So. Yeah. Tell me about the lie detector uh, test. Like, was it pretty accurate? Like, is it, can you cheat it? I, you know, from what I've heard (laughs) through other podcasts and reading on the internet, it's definitely not something that could be used in court, Uh, but it was actually a really uncomfortable experience. Now I did pass the lie detector test. This is how I was able to do the therapeutic disclosure with my husband but it was a really brutal, long, expensive process. So my therapeutic disclosure was 10 pages long and I had to sit in front of a lady that I don't know. And I had to read the entire thing to her. And then if there was anything that came up in my mind, because there was so much wreckage, like I just, you know, told you this story in like 30 minutes, but like my real life, there's a lot. And so I would have to like anything that I remembered that wasn't in this disclosure. I had to add to it so she could write it on there. And then she hooked me up to a machine that was wrapped around my body, on my head and on my fingers. And then she would ask me these questions kind of phrase a little bit different, but they were like all underlining in the same thing. Like, did I tell the truth? And so that took about three hours and I definitely did pass it. But if I hadn't passed it, I would have had to wait two weeks, tell whatever I had lied about to her in the disclosure, and then take it again. But each time cost $500. At that time, I don't know if it's gone up. I did that in 2019. No, Hmm. 2020. I did this last year. So. Well, that doesn't sound fun at all. No, it was really brutal, actually. Just in my head, it sounds fun. I'm like, I want to, I want to try this lie detector. Anyways, <laughs> um, you know, it's been a good minute since I've sat down and heard someone's story, and I've probably done close to fifty at this point. And I got to thank you for recharging my passion. Your story was really powerful and inspirational to me. So, thank you so much, Shaylee. Yeah. Do you have any final words for our listeners? Uh, yeah, you know, just quit digging, put the shovel down, you know, if you're hurting real bad, just be willing to do the work because the outcome, you know, where I'm at today, like everyone deserves a little piece of happiness inside their soul. And, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people share that who, who are they going to become without their trauma? And I'll tell you what, you're already a beautiful butterfly, but you'll be a better beautiful butterfly. So. Thank you, Shaylee, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope on the Recovery Edge podcast. 
And thank you listeners for checking us out again. Remember, you can find more of our episodes on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to uh, check out your podcasts. Share us with a friend and we'll see you next time.